Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here. We are live from the Kintec studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Matt Marchese from uh, Fan 590 in Toronto is going to join us momentarily here on the show. Uh, somebody texted in, uh, Nate from Comox texts in, is Jason Dickinson now the NHL's Timothy Mozgov? See, I think whoever is going to be the NHL's Timothy Mozgov, it needs to be probably longer term because it's just a two-year extension for Jason Dickinson. And the circumstances are so specific to Chicago that I don't think it qualifies. Chicago's not doing this because of the cap inflating. Chicago's doing this because they're Chicago and they have like five NHL players. Uh, also, like, you know, four and a half million at the end of the day for a middle six centerman, you know, it's not like out of line. First of all, we have a different perception of Jason, Jason Dickinson, Dickinson in yes. this market because yes. of what his one season in Vancouver looked like, which was, you know, horrific by his standard. He was good before, he was good immediately again afterwards. The other thing is, the other thing is sent middle six centerman making four and a halfs like not ludicrous, right? I mean, you're you're talking about like the 61st, 62nd highest paid mm. centers in the league when you're talking about four and a half million, that's not ridiculous. That's like low end second line center valuation. We see guys like Adam Henrique make five. You know, that's not something that like demolishes or detonates our per- our paradigm of like what these players can make the way Mozgov, yeah. you know, so s- signing at 14 million did. We're still waiting for the NHL's typically. I think Mozgov. we're going to be we'll wait- see it, we'll I see it say, this summer. I don't think we'll see it this summer. Ooh, next I think, summer. I think it's two summers yeah, away. Uh, as mentioned, now joining us uh, from Fan 590, you hear him regularly on the Jeff Merrick Show. Also, not just a hockey guy. Uh, you hear him hosting the Checkdown on uh, the Sportsnet Radio Network as well. He is Matt Marchese. Matt, thanks for doing this, man. How are you? Uh, I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Is Ty Conklin the patron saint of the Checkdown Show? Oh, boy. <laughs> he should I, be, right? You know, it's, it's between him. I mean, uh, Rashad White is definitely Ooh. in that conversation. Ahead of Kate Otten? Come on. Uh, yeah, true. <laughs> and and I, I think i got to put Jalen Warren in that conversation. I was going to say, I think it's got to be a running back. Like, that to yeah, me is the those... classic check down, right? Where he's, like, yeah. just hanging out behind the line of scrimmage. See, Christian McCaffrey's too mainstream to be uh, the patron saint. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe we go James White. That's probably the answer. Like James legendary James Patriots White. back, James yep. White, probably the check down legend. I was going to see uh, Naheem Hines as well in his heyday. Yeah. You know, PPR yeah. star Naheem Hines, who I loved yeah. having on my bench. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, as mentioned, not just hockey. We'll get into the Canucks and the NHL, but uh, is this the year for your Bills, man? Oh no! Oh, we're not doing this, guys. Please, we're don't. definitely what's doing this. this. What's 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 the line from? Uh, I can't. And the actor's name. He was in Green Mile. He's in uh, the Ballad of uh, Ricky Bobby. There, Talladega Night. And he says, "Don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's yeah. That's bad mojo. I honestly, I mean, they got beating the Chiefs goes a long way to getting there, but they're so banged up on defense that literally, I have no expectations, and I am ready to be hurt again. You know, that's, I have a, that's where I'm at. You know, I have a problem because you said, what's the line? And I immediately wanted to yell into the mic, two, two and a half, two and a half, <laughs> two and a half. 
<laughs> that's good though. I'm glad you're on the ball. Like I, I appreciate that. As a fellow degenerate, I'm I very much appreciate that kind of thinking. Oh yeah, I've spent a lot of time already thinking about what are the nuke spots for that matchup. I've decided <laughs> I've decided it's James Cook receiving sure, and okay. and all around overs because I think Buffalo's D is compromised enough that even the Chiefs' dust weapons will be able to do damage, and then we know that the Bills are going to score. So it's like I just feel like extreme overs is the is the play on Sunday while enjoying that one. It's going to be a classic. You know what you know what happens when we have those kind of expectations. The game's going to be because it's going to be so cold, and there's going to be a billion inches of snow in Orchard Park again. It sounds like uh, it'll probably be like a, a seven to three game. The snow globe bowl and all that other but, stuff. But I don't. I have no expectations anymore. But these teams just combined for like what fifty nine or fifty eight points in terrible conditions this weekend. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the, the you know, it's funny. I, I I know people talk about the cold. I don't think the cold is as much of an issue as people make it out to it's be. The like, wind. The feel. It's the wind. Yeah, and the, I mean, the snow doesn't help when it's snowing. But that field was as green as can be yesterday, <laughs> and the temperatures were cold. But you know, a lot of these. I know Kansas City Stadium at Arrowhead. Their field is actually heated, heated like yeah. nine inches under the ground. So the, the players weren't that cold. That's why I laughed that everybody thinks that Tua <laughs> is so great. It's like, no, well, it was it was the same temperature for him as it was for Patrick Mahomes. But no, I think the you know, the the one thing is is what you do know in that game is Josh Allen is going to try to put on his cape, and that can either be mm-hmm. the greatest thing that you've ever seen in the world or the most disastrous thing. And that's just what, you know, I've kind of come to expect and live with as a fan because when he is playing I would make the case that he's the best player in the NFL but when he's turning the ball over like he has for the majority of his career then you look and go well are we can you really win with this and it's going to be interesting because Donovan and I had the conversation today and he said you know Josh Allen wants to put himself in the conversation as you know in that category with Patrick Mahomes he's got to beat him and I said I'll take it one step further he doesn't just have to beat him he has to win a Super Bowl like, that's the end game here. You want to be considered among the greats, you better win. Um, and I think the same can be said about Lamar Jackson, too, when they play Houston this weekend. So it's going to be fun. That's what I do know. We finally achieved my dream of making Canucks talk a football gambling podcast. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, so I got to, like, wrench this back on the rails from Drance because he'll just sure. he'll just talk your ear off about, like, player props all, all segment long if we allow him to do it. Um, but I wanted, you know, we're always so uh, so paranoid here in Vancouver about like what people from outside the market think of the Canucks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're hey, five one and one on this eastern road trip, tops in the division, right? Playoff lock. Hey, can they can they win the division? Are they gonna have home ice in the playoffs? How surprised are you by what you've seen from the Canucks so far this season? Well, being on the eastern side of Canada, I can tell you it's not as much fun making fun of the Canucks anymore because you can't. <laughs> so that part kind of sucks. But what I will say is this, like my expectations were I thought they were going to be better. Everything went so wrong last year, whether it be Mm. the the coaching change, whether it be the, you know, Demko being hurt and and some of these guys not performing up to their standards. Now I think we're seeing like almost, well, not almost, it's an overcorrection really because JT Miller's playing out of his mind. I Mm -hmm. think we kind of expect Elias Pettersson to be, you know, among the elite players in the game. Um, Brock Besser with a, an overcorrection himself. I think what you're seeing is, is 
Rick Tockett's gotten the best out of these players. Quinn Hughes is, is playing fantastic too. And you look top to bottom and then you say, oh yeah, and, and Thatcher Demko's still a really good goalie. I forgot about that. So I think when you look at all-encompassing, like it is surprising in a sense, but, but when you really kind of break it down, you look at the talent that this team has, you say, well, they should be really good. They have a, a, an elite goaltender. They have elite forwards. They have one of the best offensive defensive who's getting better in his own end as well along for the ride. I just think it makes sense. I mean, I don't know that I expected this good, right. but I thought that they were a playoff team coming back. They, they just needed to get at the end of the day, guys. And you guys know this. If you have a goalie that's playing really well consistently and is healthy, that's a difference maker. You look at some of these, look at all the goaltending issues around the league. It seems like almost everybody's got one. And if you don't, then you're in good shape. Everybody else feels like they're kind of just playing catch up. And I think Demko is, is proving once again, like, okay, don't forget about me as one of the elite goaltenders because goaltending is a weird thing. I, I said it on, on with Jeff. Um, it feels like relief pitching in baseball. Some guys are really good one year, and then you don't know what happened to them the next. And then the following year, it's like, oh, yeah, he's, he's good again. So I think having a guy like Demko playing the way he has, it's gone a long way in, in the success for the Canucks this season. It's, it's honestly, it's good to see a Canadian team be – be so good. Well, yeah, and I mean, we're fans out here in Western Canada kind of spoiled right now, unless you're in Calgary, I guess, although even though they're they're playing a lot better right now between the Canucks, the Oilers, uh, and the Jets, it's been a, a very, very positive season for the Western Canadian teams, and just, you know, your point on the Canucks and the talent, because you're absolutely right, and you know, Drance and I have been on the air for a few years now, and even when we've been really, really critical of the team at different parts, we've always recognized the immense talent of Pedersen, Hughes, Demko, JT Miller, right? That they have these really, really uh, incredible superstar players. And I think what we're seeing from the Canucks this year is just kind of proof of how much when you have a dysfunctional organization, how much it can trickle down to the on ice product, right? So even, you know, even with that talent, they weren't able to get it together in previous years, but you get some alignment off the ice. Uh, things just become a little bit more calm. You get the right coach and all of a sudden the talent in an organization has a chance to thrive in a way they haven't previously. 100%. Like, organizational stability is important across all sports. When you look at the organizations in any sport that are really good, what do they have? They have, you know, they're not making too much noise in the front mm -hmm. office. The head coach has his moments where he needs to go out and make a statement. But for the most part, like, you know, he's very level-headed, which I think Rick Tockett is. I think at the beginning of the year, we saw a little bit more emotion from Rick Tockett because I think he wanted to get more out of the players. When, when coaches talk to the media, they're not talking to, and, Don, and you know, not to take it back to football, but Donovan said this on the show today. They're not talking to the fans. They're not talking to the media. They're talking to their team. And, and Rick Tockett did a really good job of getting through to the players that way. Now, with the front office, and you talk about that talent, what's been most impressive for me is the way that this train has gone the last couple of seasons with the Canucks, they could have easily traded away a couple of guys and everybody would have thought, okay, I get it. But they stuck with it because they believed in the core of this team when a lot of people maybe didn't. Um, you know, there are a lot of critics and, and myself included about JT Miller. And maybe he's just he, maybe he's just a guy that can put up a lot of points and doesn't really care about his own end. And you're going to have stretches where he disappears. But they believed in him. They believed in Brock Besser, who's having an incredible season. I think that part should not go unnoticed because there are a lot of teams 
I mean, I mean, you can look in Toronto and they've kind of stuck with it seemingly forever. Um, but there is something to be said about believing in your guys. And I think that also comes to fruition in their play because it's like, okay, these guys believe in me. Now I need to step up and finding the right coach was obviously a big part of that. I love Bruce Boudreaux and he had some success, but Rick talk, it really does feel like the guy that can kind of get them to that next level. And funny how, you know, being not being out of the game, but out of coaching for a bit and then coming back into it, maybe Rick has a different realization of what needs to be done. And I think there's something to be said for taking a step back, kind of really evaluating what's going on and then applying what you have learned and being successful. I think a lot of people are just so caught up in the moment sometimes that they can't sit back and look. And that comes from the front office, which did a good job with the team. And I think a lot, and with Rick Tockett as well, with the job that he's done, a little bit of self-reflection on his previous coaching experiences too. Matt, going into the All-Star game, the Canucks have betting favorites in the Norris Trophy market, in the Jack Adams market, Rick Tockett. Vesna market, it's a dead heat between Thatcher Demko and Connor Hellebuck, two Canadian goaltenders or two American goaltenders who play in Canada anyway. Um, do you think there's another Dark Horse Canucks Award winner? Uh, you know, they're, they're sort of 16 to 1, 20 to 1 for the Hart, Quinn Hughes, and, and Elias Pettersson. Selkie markets are, are, you know, listed infrequently. Is there another Canucks player you're eyeing who could maybe get some shine come award season? Well, I mean, Brock Besser keeps scoring goals, guys. Like, I know Austin Matthews is scoring at an incredible clip here, um, but I pointed this out last week when I hosted for Jeff, um, and it has changed since. But at that point, Austin Matthews had scored in 19 of 38 games. He had 33 goals in those 19 games, but he hadn't scored in 19. Whereas I feel like Besser has been a little bit more consistent on a game-to-game basis, not that he's scoring every game, so he's a guy that I would keep an eye on for that Rocket Richard trophy because, I mean, the Canucks are, we like to call it, they're a wagon. They score a lot of goals, and, they, and they're not shy about it either. And Brock Besser plays, you know, on the number one unit on one of the best power plays in the NHL, and that goes a long way as well. For me, though, it's Pedersen and the MVP. That's a little bit more of a long shot that I'm, I'm keeping my eye on just because, there are things that Elias Pedersen does and you're like, I I don't know how he did it. Not that like, not in the same ilk of Connor McDavid, but along those same lines. And he's just, he's so good. His passing is like, I know the shot. We we talk about the shot a lot, and especially what he showed and the skills competition a couple of years ago. But for me, his passing is just so elite and his vision is so good that he's a guy that can just compile points in buckets and he did it last week as well like it's just constant with him and and you know he's a little bit more of a long shot than some of these other guys like you know your mcdavid's your mckinnon uh matthews all those guys but for me it's it's Pedersen for the heart trophy that i would be willing to you know put a few shekels on because i just think that the talent is so good Vancouver is going to be playing meaningful games down the stretch here. And, and Elias Pedersen is going to have to be a big part of that if they're going to have success. And also, oh, yeah, by the way, he can sign a massive extension yeah. at the end of this season, which we all expect is going to happen. Um, not that I think the price is going to go up significantly. If he has 120 points, I think it is what it is. 
But I think Pedersen for the heart is super interesting for me. I don't know, though. If he wins the heart, let's say he did, right? He has that 120-point season, wins the heart. You know, at that point, his comp, like Austin Matthews is making 13.25 kicking in next year, right? If you're Elias Pedersen, isn't that what you're asking for? If you if you pick up a heart trophy on your way to leading the team to the playoffs this year? If I'm Elias Pedersen, I'm asking for that even if I don't win a heart trophy. <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Like, I, I, think, I think he's in that category. And I... That, that's why, like, I don't think, like, Elias Pettersson with 120 or 110 or 100 points, I don't think anything changes because we haven't seen the ceiling yet. Like, he's he's really good. He's still really young. We haven't seen the ceiling yet for this guy. We look at the, the numbers that a guy like Sidney Crosby is putting up at 35 years old, and you're like, holy smokes, like, that's, that's pretty incredible, or 36 years old, whatever he is. But for me, Pettersson, like, I, I'm absolutely – going to ask for the Matthews contract. I don't know if he's going to get it um, because there's other conversations about, well, how much do you like winning? And I hate that conversation because players should get as much money as humanly possible while they're still in the game, because that window of earning is very short. Um, But I think if he's not, if the agent is not asking for the Austin Matthews contract, I don't think they're doing due diligence. All right. Wow. That would be, uh, I mean, look, the Canucks have basically said, or at least it's been reported that they're willing to do <laughs> almost anything that Pedersen uh, wants in his contract demand. So you, you might be right when it all, uh, when it all ends up, Matty. Um, he's, he's got a higher points per game too. Yeah, he does. I mean, Matthews is a generational goal scorer, right? Like we're talking, um, you know, sort of new age Ovechkin stuff. What, what we're seeing from Matthews in terms of the reliability with which he fills the net, but like Pedersen's been at a higher points per game multiple years running here i mean is it wild to think that he could get into that stratosphere in your view matt no way no chance right i mean not 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 the same not the same in terms of goal scoring because but here's the thing i think that elias petterson is a i don't even want to say he's a sneaky good goal scorer because there's nothing sneaky (laughs) about his skill level but he's a guy like could you not see Elias Pettersson consistently scoring 40 goals a year? Because I can. And if I'm not mistaken, last time I checked, 40 goals in the National Hockey League is pretty hard to do, mm-hmm. and it takes a pretty good talent to do that consistently. I think he could be in that conversation. With that shot, with the, with the, the skill level that he has, and being able to, again, if this power play keeps going and, and this offense keeps going the way they're going, how can you not see him scoring 40 goals a year? The talent is certainly there. That's, that's not a question. I think the, he's also... He's also looking to set teammates up too. And that's part of like, in a, in a way it's like the criticisms of Sidney Crosby is kind of the same thing. We don't look at him as this generational goal scorer, even though like the guy's probably going to score 700 by the time his career is done. But we think of him as a passer first rather than a shooter first. And I think Elias Pettersson kind of falls into that same category where we don't think of him as a shooter, but he's a really darn good goal scorer. And he could score, score 40 goals and everybody would go, oh yeah, he scored 40 that year. Or he scored 43 years in a row. Like, oh yeah, that's, that's super impressive. But it's because of the other things that he does so well that maybe he doesn't get the same credit that he probably deserves. Hey, Maddie, just before we let you go, Leafs out uh, touring Western Canada right now. They play Connor McDavid and the Oilers tonight. Touring, touring. yeah, they're they're, they're kayaking on uh, on Lake Louise right now, Matt. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> Checking out the sites at Jasper National Park. They're in Vancouver <laughs> for Hockey Day in Canada on Saturday. Where, like... What's the prevailing view in your view of Leafs fans for this iteration of the team in Brad Living's first year? Like what's the temperature of Leafs nation right now? Uh, they should be nervous. 
I, I think there's, I think this is kind of the same, like, they all, all Lee fans believe that they're just going to get into the playoffs, which I think the, especially the way the Atlantic has gone this year, I think, I think it's kind of safe to say that they will get there because let's face it. They've done it with Joseph wall, who was basically the one, a starter. Ilya Samsonov has not played well. Wall played well before he got hurt. And then Martin Jones comes in and for a stretch plays out of his mind. And you're like, okay, if they can do that, if they can weather that storm, they're kind of going to get to the playoffs and, they can score their way out of problems because they have some talent. And I don't think there's a worry now. It's the same conversation as it is every year with this team. Are they going to be able to do it in the playoffs? And this doesn't change this year, whether it's Brad Living, whether it's Kyle Dubas, it doesn't matter. But I think, I think the, the prevailing thought here is Brad Living is going to get something done with this defense to fix it by the deadline. And I think the fan base is okay with trading more future assets to try and accomplish this. Because let's face it, the defense right now is that's not a Stanley Cup winning defense, mm-hmm. not by any stretch of the imagination. Nope. I think the fan base knows that. But what I think there is some optimism with is Brad Living is a gunslinger. He will go out and make the big splash if he needs to. He signed Austin Matthews to the big extension. They signed William Nylander to the big extension. I don't think that there is like this. He's certainly not shy. He makes his calls every day. He knows what is going on around the league. And I think the fan base has that same feeling because they saw what he did in Calgary. They saw that he was willing to take chances. So I think that's where there's, there's some almost relief that this is not going to be what the team looks like after the trade deadline. So I think that's part of it. The other thing is too, is they look and see like some guys up front have been super inconsistent. Like Tyler Bertuzzi has been wildly inconsistent. Even Mitch Marner's had his inconsistency and this team is still where they are in the standings. And you're like, okay, this isn't so bad. You know, they're either third in, in the Atlantic and they haven't played super well, but they're third in the Atlantic. And I think they're going to keep going back to that. So I think there's a little bit of optimism. I think the hesitancy is like, are we just going to do this again? Are the, the same guys going to not show up when it matters? it's going to be that conversation until this team wins. So when I die, they will still be having this conversation about the Toronto Maple Leafs and can they get it done in the playoffs? That will never change. (laughs) So I think that's just where everyone's heads are at because we've done this before, right? And, And we've been through this. And, you know, it's almost, I don't want to say that it's apathetic, but it's kind of there. With the Leafs, it's like, just show me when the playoffs start because that's when it actually matters. You'll get there, but you got to do it. And that's that's where the fan base is at. I think they're just – they just want the playoffs to start every year because, like, we know we're going to be in the playoffs, but we need the we need the real games to start. And I, I, I don't think that that narrative has changed. Matt, this was really fun, man. Appreciate you taking the time to chat with us, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Anytime, guys. Anytime. Uh, have a great rest of the show. Thank you, buddy. That is Matt Marchese from uh, Fan590, who I believe will be filling in for Jeff Merrick uh, the next couple of days on the Jeff Merrick Show. You also hear him every day uh, on the Checkdown talking football, as we did for a while there. <laughs> Snuck some football content into Canucks talk. It was good because it reminded me to check some of the opening props before they uh, before they got <laughs> steamed one direction or another. 16 good. and a half for James Cook. What a steal. <laughs> That's receiving yards. Uh, meanwhile, way. apropos of nothing, I don't know if you noticed, but West Ham is down to 10 men. That's just what I did. Okay. I just wanted to let you know that. Again, we're all not, good. Not we're relevant good. for any particular reason, but <laughs> just so you know. Uh, all right. We'll take a break. More Canucks talk. Uh, one of our favorites, 
Jack Hammers, Jay Fresh uh, from Twitter, wait. which I'm really excited about because he has been like a main character on Canucks Twitter this year. So I'm excited to chat with Jay Fresh, get his view of the Canucks uh, this season and how they're playing right now. That's coming up next year on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Catch up on what happened in Vancouver sports with Halford and Bruff in the morning. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. Thomas Drance here as well. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650, 650 is the Dunbar lumber text line uh, about to be joined here by jay fresh from twitter uh, of course also writing at ep ringside you can also follow him at his Substack. a uh, great follow on twitter jack fraser uh, but we'll call him jay fresh here uh joint will join the show to get his view on the canucks and what they're doing so far this season we have an open segment coming up at the end of the show so you can send in your texts as well and we'll get into a bunch of them uh, a little bit later on in the show, um, Dalvir did text in as uh, Matt Marchese in our last segment was saying that Elias Pettersson has absolutely earned the Matthews type money. Uh, and uh, Dalvir said, I can't speak for the fan base, but I would have no problem with giving Petey the Matthews contract, which of course was 13.25 AAV for four seasons in Toronto. And that is kind of the tier of player that he's going to have put himself in. Like Austin Matthews, I think what you would still regard as what one of the three or four best forwards in the game, probably right. McKinnon, McDavid, Matthews. That's it. Drysital, you might put in there as well. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. But Drysital as well. But if Pedersen has a, that's a, the tier. If Pedersen yeah. has you know a hundred and ten plus points, Hart Trophy, Hart Trophy finalist, that kind of thing, it, he's so, not going to be far behind. So it's an interesting one because if you were to ask me, who are the two best forwards on the planet? The answer mm-hmm. is McDavid and McKinnon, and I don't have to think about it that hard, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's sort of a separate tier. That's the real tier one. That's tier one. And re- I mean, really, to me, it's tier one is McDavid. Then maybe tier two is Nathan McKinnon by himself. Uh, I mean, that's fair, I think, but it's not – for me, it's not open shut like that. For me, it's those guys one, two. Okay. I think it's clear McDavid's like a, a a touch ahead, but I don't think it's reasonable given. I don't think it's reasonable given the way that their peers talk about them. Mm. The fact that McKinnon's actually won to to put him in a totally different tier than McKinnon. You know. Yep. They're they're really for me. It's close. It's really close, and it's those guys in one two. Clear one two, but not a clear tier tier break. And then I think it's Matthews probably three, and I think he's on his own because he's the best goal scorer 
like he, he's the best. He's certainly the best goal scorer since Ovechkin. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of rate stuff that he's doing at a more impressive clip than Ovechkin did at a similar at like at this stage of their careers. I mean, think about how wild that is. You know, like, oh, it's nuts. You know, uh, on a on a goal per game basis, like we're talking about, Matthews's peers are really like Burray and Mike Bossy and Ovechkin. You know, the I mean, completely peerless in terms of current NHLers. You literally have to go into the history books and pick the best goal scorers the last fifty years. Those are Matthews comps for me. That would put him three, and then I think Dreisaitl four on the basis of it's wild that a consistent fifty goal hundred point forward exists. Yes. <laughs> it's completely ridiculous. And then I think you get this tier of like Jack Hughes, Elias Pettersson. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are texting Kucherov. Kucherov. As well. You got to put in that that next tier. That next tier. Yeah. The maestro. Right? But but you know, and and those are the, those are I think there's a open spot maybe for 5 and and I think Pettersson's a, a striver for it. I think he mm-hmm. can he can make a bid. So, you know, uh, yeah, look, when you're talking about players that good, when you're talking about players at that level, there's no amount, in my view, that you can commit against your cap that's, like, inefficient. Right? Those aren't the deals that kill you. Yeah, and it, to me, I've really been operating... You can't trade for them. You no. can't acquire them. You can't sign them in free agency. They don't hit free agency. You can't get them any other way. So there's no amount of cap that you can commit to them, in my view, that's not worth it. I have been operating under the assumption that... Whatever happens with Elias Pettersson, it's not going to come down to a, you know, dollars and cents grind between the two teams, right? Where the way, like, the William Nylander contract did, where it's like, hey, we need to figure out a way that this makes sense. It's going to be just when Elias Pettersson is ready, and if he decides he wants to be with the Canucks, I would think the contract would be pretty easy to figure out at that point. I guess that could change if you start pushing from the, you know, 12 million realm, like 12 to 12 and a half or, you know, 11 and a half to 12 and a half up to the above 13, right? Because then you're talking about, like, Austin Matthews, that's going to be the highest AAV contract in the league next year, right? When it kicks in, 13.25, what, Nathan McKinnon's at 12.6, McDavid is still at 12.5. So then you're talking about being one of the, you know, one or two highest paid players in the league. And I'm not saying it wouldn't make sense for the Canucks to do that right because as you said you lose Elias Pettersson because you're not willing to pay him that much and where are you finding that replacement what are you doing how are you getting your team back on track after that so I completely understand that but it's just that's a different tier and being paid like that takes it to a point where I wonder how that impacts negotiations right if that was truly what he was demanding and as as Matt Marchese said earlier right like hey if his agents aren't demanding that are they really doing their job to their best of the abilities but that's like that's a spicy number. That's a very very spicy number when you start to get into that uh, Matthews tier. And I will say the other thing that is interesting about it, right, is Matthews only signed the four year deal, so he theoretically could have gone for more if he had gone longer term, right? So could you see longer term for Patterson, but at a similar number to Matthews, or does he want to go short term? And then what does that do to the AAV? It makes it a little bit more difficult to use the Matthews number as a pure comp because it is only the four year extension. Yeah, I mean, you know, it does feel like the dynamic is less about comps and more about just when he's ready, just get it done. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I would think is if he, if his agents during the All Star break, and this is just pure speculation in my read of the situation, but if his agents called up the Canucks 
during the All-Star break and said, hey, we're ready to talk contract. Oh, that yeah, was the perfect yeah. time. Like, it gets done that week. You know what I mean? You would, you would think. <laughs> I don't think it's like oh, going to be really difficult. It's going to be like, oh, hey, we want uh, eight years at 12 and a half. And the Canucks are like, no, we won't go a penny over 12. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that's what it's going to come down to. Once there's you, an alignment on signing, it seems like a pretty easy deal to get done. You'd certainly hope not, especially because of how complicated this gets. You know, not not when you get to the summer, but once you get to, you know, two weeks out from July 1, mm-hmm. where you're, you know, you start considering your options and going over, like, what it looks like. Do you do, you do team elected arbitration? Like, <sighs> you know, do qualifying offer, that's eight and a half or 8.8. Um, you know, 8.8, and then there's a five-day window in which you can be offer sheeted before electing player arbitration, player elect arbitration, if that's the route you go, and you almost always do. Um, you know, the whole thing, it just gets, it just gets legalistic. You know what I mean? Like it gets, Mm -hmm. it gets, it becomes businesslike in a way you don't want the relationship to be businesslike. You want it to be like running through a daisy field toward one another and agreeing to compete for a cup together over, over a select number of years on a personal services deal. Yeah. You want it to be about hockey as much as it can be when you're talking contract rather than like drafting you know filing things and meeting deadlines and all of those right drafting arguments for arbitration right that's not where you want your energy applied in every walk of life you don't want to you don't want to be in the system in general arbitration just try to avoid it (laughs) don't go to arbitration no matter what it is generally a bad sign uh matt in toronto texted in earlier hey gents we understand that Pedersen doesn't want to talk contract until the season is over, but at what point does management present it as a, hey, you're kind of hamstringing the team here moving forward because they can't begin planning for the future until they know what they're paying Pedersen next year? That's from Matt in Toronto. I mean, I do think we've seen a bit of a sense of urgency from the Canucks, right? Being very, very public uh, about the fact that, yeah, hey, we'd love to get Elias Pedersen signed. You know, of course, Jim Rutherford coming on the station in December and saying, Whatever term Pedersen wants, we'd be happy with that. We just want him under contract. We've heard from Patrick Alvine as well about what a priority it is. I will say, again, I don't know that there's a ton of mystery about the number, per se, that Elias Pedersen is going to be. Like, I would think you'd have a very high degree of confidence that it's going to be within a $2 million range, right? Mm. Let's say between, like, 11 to 13, maybe 11.5 to 13.5 at the very, very high end, right? It would be pretty surprising if it was outside of that range in either direction. Now, two million, big deal in terms of planning for the cap, especially if a team is tight against the cap as the Canucks project to be. So I don't want to say that that's nothing, but I also don't think it completely undermines your ability to plan in general if you're just kind of waiting to see, you know, is it going to be 11.5 or 12.25, right? I think the bigger thing is that would hamstring your ability to uh, to plan for the future of the team is just well is he going to sign does he want to be here like that's the that's to me is the true stumbling block to starting to make plans if it's just concern about the number yeah you really want to know ideally you have that cost certainty but there's also a little you know you can you can still get a lot of business done while you're waiting to see what that final number is i think the much bigger question at least as it pertains to planning for the future is just is it going to get done this summer right is it going to get done that's a bigger question than what the actual number ends up being. No question. <laughs> that's that's uh, right. Like if it was like, oh, he's definitely going to sign, but we'll 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 find out in July what the exact number is. I don't think that prevents you from signing no. UFAs, doing things like that. No, no, and and you know we do have to start to talk about this team's cap situation a little bit differently than we have in the past. In that, you know, 
yes, you've got a Pedersen commitment that's going to be significant, and yes, you've got a Heronic commitment that's going to be significant. But you all, you know, assuming an eighty-seven point five million dollar cap number, you're at thirty million, thirty-one million, basically in projected cap space going into the summer. I mean, this is a level of optionality uh, and flexibility that this team's never had. In part because mm-hmm. when they had cap space created by the OEL buyout, like with the exception of Pew Suter at one point six and Carson Soucy at three point five, all of the commitments were one year deals, right? You know, Beauvillier became Zadorov, who's expiring. You've got Myers expiring. Like, in some ways, this team's hurdled now the biggest crunch year. In part two, because of the decision to buy out Oliver Ekman Larson, the cost of which is felt this summer, but not not too severely, right? I mean, it's only a two two and a half million dollar hit next year. It's the next two seasons thereafter, you know, 25 through 27, where you're dealing with something a little more cumbersome. So you know, short term anyway, going into one more offseason, this club's going to have meaningful flex. And that's that gives you some ability to react, I guess, to 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 what comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, should there be uncertainty on the Pedersen file or, or what have you? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think all you can do is plan, earmark, you know, the, the 12 and a half you think it'll take. And manage the relationship as best you can to, to get him to yes whenever he's ready. And and that might be after the season, and that's a, an uncomfortable place to be without question yep. for this organization. But it's also not something you can't navigate. You know what I mean? Like, it's 12 and a half, and if the worst case, like, if the worst case scenario, even if the worst case scenario unfolds, you've got, like, that's where the additional year, the restricted free agent status thing really helps you is, you know... If you have well, then you have this asset. You have this incredibly yeah. special asset, right? Worst but, case, it, but not, there's it's no still way. the worst case scenario. It's by far the worst case. But scenario. at there's least no it's way not, to it's, do well. It's not leaving for nothing. No, you but know There's I mean? no way to do well there. I mean, you can't replace. As, as I said, like there's no there's no cap number that's too high in part because you can't replace what a guy like that brings. Mm-hmm. It's just not doable. And I will say, I think as much as it is inherently an uncomfortable situation, anytime there's uncertainty between a team and a player as great as Elias Patterson is. I think it would be a lot more uncomfortable if this was a bubble playoff team, right? If this oh, yeah, was a yeah, bubble yeah. playoff team with seven UFAs and they weren't sure if Elias Pettersson wanted to stay and you were fa- staring down those types of decisions at the trade deadline and it was impacting you not just like, hey, we're going to have to think about next year's team, but what are we going to do at the trade deadline? That would be a much worse position to be in than, the, than where they find themselves right now. On the other hand, the stakes of like this, this reload experiment, right? Because what the Canucks have effectively found a way to do here is hurdle – the crunchiest years of their cap mm-hmm. crunch while also improving this team's depth sufficiently to, you know, be emerging like right now as, as at least a fringe contender and maybe an inside the circle contender, right? A team with a green light to buy a team that should be win now, right? It's an, it's an incredible accomplishment, like an incredibly unlikely one too. I, I think it's worth, noting that you know it's not just about the humble pie eating or the <laughs> or the or the performative like hey um you know we had it wrong mm-hmm. this is this is an amazing accomplishment to to have gotten here given the constraints on this team was was highly unlikely it, that they've pulled it off is incredible um but the stakes then because you're good now are higher in some ways 
right? This isn't, well, even with this elite player, this team's only right. so good. This is now like this experiment that's working, you know, needs to be protected in some ways. The it does, but higher. I also think it's that at, at the very least, even with the uncertainty, you can focus in on this year and say, okay, hey, is it uncertain after this year? Yes, but at least we have something going, right? It's not – if it was uncertain – that you were even going to keep building around, you know, a bubble playoff team with Elias Patterson. Like, that's tough. At least this year, to me, you can just dial in on what the team is doing and how you're going to improve the team for this year. And, of course, that's one of the big reasons that I've been heavy in favor of this team going all in and taking a big swing is because the future is uncertain and you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know who's going to be on your team. And I'm not, I don't just mean Patterson there. Obviously, I mean the UFAs and the other free agency situations that they have to deal with. So you're right, but I also just think that the fact that the team is winning gives you something to hold on to, right? And kind of an organizational focus beyond, oh man, what are we going to do with Elias Patterson? Don't get me wrong, that's a huge, huge deal. Of course it is. But at least you have a team that's winning this year, he's clicking, he's playing well, and you can focus on that rather than purely worrying about the future and purely worrying uh, worrying about what's going to happen after this season. Keith and Kitts text in, uh, PD has not won a cup, an Art Ross, a Rocket Richard, a Selkie. To be honest, he hasn't won anything yet. He does not deserve that kind of money. He de deserves something in between Nylander and those guys. Eight by 12 and a half for $100 million total dollars. That's crazy. That's from Keith in Kits. Look, I understand there's always going to be a bit of a mental block for some fans about, you know, paying a guy for what you think he's going to do versus what he's done and comparing the resume with other great players around the league. But ultimately, it comes down to you can look at, you know, whatever the number is and, oh, is it slightly above market value? Is he going to provide surplus value on that contract? That's fair. But the question isn't, do you want him on a deal that's providing surplus value? It's, do you want him on the team or not? And there's just a certain price it's going to cost. And so you can say, like, oh, I don't think he's really worth that. You know, that's a little much when you look around the league. But the alternative isn't getting him at a lower number. The alternative is not having him on your team. Right? Who's the there's a I think a baseball executive had the quote like if you're rational about every free agent, you're gonna finish third in the bidding on every free agent. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just gotta pay what it costs to have the great player on your team. And maybe the market value isn't gonna look great or the surplus value, whatever. But guess what? You have the really good player on your team. Oh, and that that matches, I think, too pretty closely with Rutherford's MO here, right? Like I think he said on Bob McCown's podcast uh, right before Christmas, something like, you know, we, we've probably overpaid in some of the deals, but we are not going to be shy about doing what our team needs, right? So I think that mm. matches his frame of reference in, in terms of how to view these things, right? Yeah, that, that doesn't mean you just capitulate in negotiations, but you also have to realize. <laughs> you no, know, seriously, though. No, I'm just excited we dropped to capitulate. <laughs> the You don't hand a blank check, but you also have to recognize, like, yeah, what well, we need the player, so well, we're going to do what we got to do. Well, and the things to overpay for, right? 1C, 2C. One LD, one mm. RD. Those are the things to overpay for, right? Um, there are deals worth dissecting at length for the value provided and the risks and the aging curves and on and on, right? And there are deals for legitimate star centermen, right? Elias Pettersson has 58 points. Already. He's played 44 games. He's on pace for a second consecutive 100-point season. Mm -hmm. He is – did he just turn 25? Yep. Just turned 25. 
there is no one else like that. There is no one else 25 or younger who's now able to be described in the following way. This guy is a consistent 100-point centerman, right? Like, uh, Leon Dreisaitl's the only 50-goal 100-point center forward in the league who does it, like, year after year after year. I mean, we we have this idea of what career years look like on, on the back of a hockey card, and we also have this stickiness where it's like a guy does 100 points once, and they're a 100-point player. He's a 100-point player, Right, yeah. like, you're a 30-goal scorer <laughs> in 2017, right? But it, it follows you around forever. To do it consistently is a totally different thing. To do it consistently at that age is a totally different thing. To do it consistently at that age at a premium position is a totally different thing. And while also like having strong two-way value as well. It's not as right. if he's like giving it all back <laughs> no. defensively. He's also a really good two-way player. No, I mean, you know, Jack Hughes is Jack Hughes, Elias Pettersson. It's kind of like that's kind of it. In terms of centermen roughly this age, and, and Jack Hughes, granted, is younger, right? He had 99 points in 78 games. To me, that's, you don't, to me, we make too much of the milestone. Mm. It's like, you have 99 points in 78 games, that's a 100-point season for me. Sure. You have, you know, he's been hurt a bit, but 45 points in 32 games, I think we can feel pretty confident that he's a 100-point player. But, like, that's it. That's the company. These are the guys. Um, It's, uh... Yeah, it's a crucial one to get done, and you can understand, too, why we're seeing the Canucks sort of not shy away from the discussion in public. Uh, Alvin on with Murph mm -hmm. the other day on the, the Sportsnet broadcast in Buffalo, right? Um, yeah, they want to get it done. They're, they're ready to get it done. They're going to say so publicly. I, I mean, I don't think it's fair to say they're turning up the heat. Like, I think that's probably a little bit too dramatic, but they're not no, they're being away honest. from their intention. Yeah. Which, of course, they they want to sign a, an incredibly good 25-year-old player who's, you know, on pace for a second straight 100-point uh, season. It's essential, right? Yeah. The, the success that we've seen unfold over the course of the season, like, there's a lot of things going right for this team, but it does hinge on having an embarrassment of elite talent and Pedersen's central to it, right? Pedersen and Hughes and Demko and, and Miller too, right? Like that's, you know, there, there's a lot of important pieces here. Besser, Heronic, you can go on, but like the, the, the centerman's maybe the most unique of those pieces, mm -hmm. right? The centerman's probably the hardest one given his age and production to replace. And this text comes in from Tyler. He says, how many teams have made the cup finals with bloated contracts? So the Leafs have won a single round. They have the most bloated cap situation. He also says EP has vanished for long stretches. Oh, come on. Look, again, I'm not saying that if you if you sign Patterson to the absolute peak of his value and it's a really big contract and you're sort of, you know, one of the two or three biggest in the league, that that doesn't prevent complications. Of course it does. You would always love to get players at below their market value. But the question to me is, are you more likely to win a Stanley Cup with Elias Pettersson making, say, $13 million, Or are you more likely to do it without Elias Pettersson? And the answer is clearly with Elias Pettersson at a high salary to me. To take the example of the Leafs, I don't think they'd have had more playoff success if they were paying, you know, three guys $4 million a piece instead of having Austin Matthews on their team. There's no way, right? Does it? Is it easy? No, not necessarily. But it does not decrease your chances relative to not having that player. Well, relative to waving goodbye to that player. So, yeah, look, you'd love to have them at less. Of course, in a hard cap situation, every million dollars is a big deal. Opens up flexibility for you. Of course, that's the reality. 
but you're also better off having the player uh, no matter what kind of contract they're on when it's a guy like Elias Pettersson. And I know we have to go to a break, but like, consider this. In 2006-07, Zdeno Ochara, who won a cup on this contract, unfortunately, we all mm-hmm. remember that, um, signed for $7.5 million. So he wins the cup in, in 2011 on a $7.5 million cap hit, and everyone's like, see, you can't win with bloated contracts. That contract represented... You know, a, a ludicrous, like, 17 18% of the cap. Yeah. A $44 million cap the day it was signed. That's the equivalent of a $14 million cap hit today. You know, like, you, really, people yeah. need to look at this in context. The $10 million thing is is easy to say, but, like, even SID's 8.7, if, if you look at it as a percentage of cap space, is, like, way higher today. You know, r- relative to today. So, yeah, I don't buy that for a, for a second. That's that's a misnomer and just a misunderstanding of, of how the cap has changed over the course of 20 years. We will go to break. I think we are going to be able to connect with Jay Fresh on the other side. So final segment coming up here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Lots of feedback coming in on the Elias Pettersson contract discussion. And uh, I do want to point people as well, uh, our colleague Ian McIntyre with a great question and answer article up with uh, Canucks GM Patrick Alvin just went up at sportsnet.ca some interesting nuggets there about his approach to the trade deadline and also where things stand with Elias Pettersson we're going to get Jay Fresh on the line here momentarily but just uh, Alvin's answer on being aggressive at the trade deadline uh, IMAC asks him will you be aggressive ahead of the deadline and Alvin says well I think I owe it to the players the players dictate how good we are and how they're buying into the way we want to play we know that they are capable of playing at this high level and if they continue to do that then it's on me to make sure I support them and give them opportunities to be successful that is Canucks GM Patrick Alvin on the idea of being aggressive ahead of the deadline he says I think I owe it to the players especially if they continue uh, to be successful. So a very notable quote there from Patrick Alvin. Another, another notable quote from that interview. The question from Sportsnet is based on your experience. Is this situation referring to Pedersen mm-hmm. unusual, a core player eligible for restricted free agency wanting to hold off negotiations? Alvin's response is maybe a little bit. Yeah. And then of course goes on to provide additional context. Just want to bring that up in the context of our discussion in the last segment. Yeah. And uh, again, saying, you know, we we have conversations with his agent, but nothing has changed. We do want, we want him here. He's an RFA, et cetera, but we also want to be able to plan for the team next year. So go check out that uh, when you have a chance up at sportsnet.ca. As mentioned, now joining us, uh, you know him as Jay Fresh on Twitter, writes for EP Rinkside. You can also follow his Substack, uh, one of the best follows for NHL Twitter. And he joins the show now. What's going on, man? Oh, not a lot. How's it going? Uh, It's going very well. So, I mean, 
you've had like you have to have one of the most fascinating perspectives on this Canucks season. You've become like a main character for Canucks Twitter with all of the PDO discussion, and you've been very you've been very positive about the Canucks a lot of the time. How has your view of this team kind of evolved and developed over the course of this season? Uh, Well, I mean, it's really a matter of sample size keeps coming in, and they keep doing well. I mean, there's a big difference between a team that's shooting hot and getting great goaltending after 10 games or 15 games versus one that's doing it after, after 40 games. Um, and, you know, I think a, a big factor for me is that the underlying aspects of their performance have also been improving a lot. You know, this is a team that the expected numbers, including the ones from proprietary services, was pegging them at the kind of team that was usually going to get 92, 93 points. Um, now that's looking more like 103, 104. When you add in their amazing goaltending, the shooting talent on the roster, you know, I think they're landing sustainably to something a lot closer to what we've seen from them uh, than it was looking like after maybe 20 or 25 games there. Yeah. Jack, for me, the last 10, too, have really put some nitrous in that improvement to their underlying form, what what are you seeing in the data from the most recent stretch of games we've seen the Canucks play? Yeah, I mean it's it's you know it's Vancouver Canucks hockey. Like even if they're getting outshot, they're grabbing leads early. They're sitting on them well. They're shooting efficiently. They're moving the puck well. I mean, you know, one thing with this team, and it's in the case all season, is that when you factored in their shot quality, you know they were. You know, if you were to make an expected PDO stat that would factor in the quality of their chances, they were at the top of the league in that category. You know, mm-hmm. everything about them being selective, um, you know, about, uh, you know, picking their shots, uh, all that stuff was always the case. Now, that only factored for a certain amount of that percentage stuff, which is where the, you know, the, of course, the ongoing feuds of the current fans came in. But, uh, you know, this is a team that I think has been playing a certain game all season and they've just gotten better at it as the season's gone on. And this past stretch I think is the perfect encapsulation of the type of hockey that Canucks want to play and the results are following from it uh, pretty logically. On an individual level, what performance surprises you or stands out the most? I mean, there's been so many good ones that we've talked about a lot here, but from the Canucks, from your perspective, what kind of stands out on an individual level for you? Well, I mean, saying Quinn Hughes would be the easy cause out decision you know i know i know drancher and i have a little bit of disagreements on the finer points of quinn hughes's progression in the past couple years but from my perspective you know there's little things that i've always kind of wanted to see in hughes game that weren't quite showing up in some of the stats whether it was some of the macro level stuff or, or especially kind of in the track data um and he pretty much has done all of them like the, you know a, a, a leap in my mind has taken place in a lot of areas of his game that i was always saying you know if he could just do a little bit more in this category you know creating chances for himself you know getting pucks to the dangerous areas of the ice instead of controlling the perimeter as much you know that kind of thing that you know he's done like he has i think fully you know fulfilled every bit of his potential that was obvious to anybody who watched him play in the last five years um, and it's been special to see because, I mean, he's always been one of the most exciting players to watch. And when you can see the process really kind of come full circle and, and become the season that he's having, you know, I mean, his shot, you know, this was a guy who didn't really shoot the puck that much, didn't create that many chances for himself, uh, didn't finish at a super high level. And now suddenly he's shooting like Kale McCarr. 
like that's a, a huge leap to make, and it's one that I'm thrilled to see because I think it opens up other areas of the game as well. What we were debating this on the show yesterday, actually, which was what's the most surprising rise, like what's the most surprising outcome or result that this team is producing. And I'd sort of said Quinn Hughes because as high as I've been, as higher than market as I've been, and uh, as you're alluding to in terms of the finer points, you know, I still didn't see him having a season where you he could fairly be said to be doing things like that Paul Coffey and Ray Bork never did. He was still my choice, um, you know, despite my, my high opinion of him. Uh, what, what what would your answer be to that question? Well, I mean, for me, it's got to be the bottom six scoring. Mm. You know, I mean, like the the sheer number of guys who are putting up career shooting seasons. And, you know, I mean, this obviously gets into a lot of the conversations that are happening, but at least if we're just talking about results that have happened so far, I mean, especially with that third line, you know, the efficiency that they've played with, uh, the number of goals that they've been able to create. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, entering the season would say that the Canucks were kind of a very top-heavy team mm-hmm. that had a lot of talent at the top of their roster, but, you know, maybe a couple of, you know, guys we were more iffy on uh, in the bottom part of the group. Um, but the, the number of scoring that they've gotten from, you know, let's say their bottom nine forwards uh, has been great. And, and you know, one thing that I think was maybe underrated entering the season and has really turned out well um, as well is kind of the defensive defenseman that they've brought in. Mm. Guys like Ian Cole, you know, to a lesser extent. Susie, you know, I know, I know Zadorov can sometimes run a little bit hot and cold, but, you know, I, I think he's, he's done just fine. Um, you know, that element, I think it's really been there and it's why setting aside percentages and goaltending and shooting and everything like that, their defensive numbers have, you know, markedly improved this year. Um, and it's something that I think was deliberately targeted by the front office and, and I think very successfully. You know, one of the things we've talked a lot about uh, recently on the show is just how wide open the NHL feels, right? That there doesn't necessarily feel like there's been one or two top teams that have established themselves as the class of the league and the prohibitive cup favorites. Do you see that as well? And, you know, how much of a gap do you think there is from the very, very top teams and what the Canucks have done so far? Uh, Yeah, absolutely there is. And I think a lot of that for me would be part and parcel with the, the lack of that kind of truly elite goalie tier mm. you know or at least the, the consistency that we've had in the past and you know a lot of those top year out year year over year goalies like Vasilevsky and Saros and guys like that being on teams that are maybe not quite at the top of the pack of cup contenders right now which which means that those teams that you talk about you know who are the betting favorites for you know the cup like the Avalanche or or even the Edmonton Oilers um you know teams that the the, the money is on right now have question marks and goal um, that, you know, I think really spreads things out across the top group where every team is, has question marks. Every team, you know, essentially has, uh, you know, recent playoff memories of disappointing performances or stars who didn't show up or, or depth issues or things like that. And some of that is, is, you know, the parody of having 32 teams in a cap league. But I think also this is just a particularly spread out year where, you know, especially I think goaltending is a big question mark for a lot of teams near the top of the heap, where, you know, that's somewhere where, something where you have a guy like Thatcher Demko, who is one of the better goalies in the league. I would say a relatively consistent goalie, even if last year didn't go particularly well for him. Obviously has a playoff track record that we've seen before, um, which I think can leave the Canucks feeling a little bit more confident 
especially with the way that they've tidied up things defensively and if they can continue to improve in that area. So, you know, like we said, I, I don't want to be the guy who says that the team that's shooting, you know, and shooting the lights out and is getting the goaltending is going to keep that sustained. I also don't want to be the guy who's saying that it's completely Mickey Mouse and, and unsustainable. All I can really say is that, you know, I think the Canucks have earned a spot in that real conversation of cup contenders this year, at least to some extent. And having the goaltender that they do should at least make that a little bit more confident than I think a lot of the teams uh, that would be around them would be. We've been talking about this a fair bit this week, Jack, too. I'd say, what, do we start late last week? That, you know, I've always been a a proponent of this idea that realistically there's like six or seven teams stratified at the top, and those are the teams with a realistic cup shot. And this year, I don't know if it's because it's like year six of stagnant cap growth or, or what is necessarily driving it. Maybe it's the, you know, I think your goaltending point's an interesting one. But does this feel like a more wide open field? than in years past to you as well yeah yeah absolutely um a lot of that you know i think tampa bay falling off of it has created a little bit of a power vacuum where you know i know they lost in the first round last year yeah, but colorado too were, right colorado looking well, a little you know, vulnerable colorado's looked well you know uh their their goaltending you know like i said is a bit of a question mark mm-hmm. you know the the oilers you know, I mean, they obviously they're looking unstoppable now that their goaltenders remembered how to make a save. But <laughs> you know, it, it, it's easy to forget how to make a save, and suddenly, you know, are we going to be revisiting this in a first or second round series where they're letting in, you know, seven goals, and suddenly everything starts to panic again? You know, like the the Oilers were the odds-on cup favorite entering the season. I mean, I did surveys at the beginning of the season, and I think it was like 25% of people were saying the Oilers, and like the next best team was like eight or nine. And, you know, that's not a perfect Oilers team. There are a lot of issues you could take with that Oilers team. And when your top contender is as vulnerable as that, I think that points to a pretty wide open field. Um, and I don't think anybody's filled it. And, and it might be like you say, it might be, you know, stagnant cap growth, you know, the top teams getting a little bit weaker, um, even, you know, as we still have a decent class of properly tanked teams. Um, but, you know, I mean, it works for me as a, as a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, I'm totally happy to have a totally <laughs> wide open field where maybe some groups might be vulnerable and the Penguins can hopefully, you know, make sure that Sidney Crosby's last playoff game wasn't the New York Rangers winning game seven a couple of years ago. Um, just before we got you on, we were reading a quote from uh, Patrick Alvian saying that, uh, you know, asked about being aggressive at the trade deadline or possibly being aggressive and saying he owes it to the players or he feels he might owe it to the players if they continue playing at this level. Where would you look at on the Canucks and say that's an area where they need to target an upgrade uh, ahead of the deadline? Well, there's not as much space open on their, you know, I think the door off might have been their big blue line acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't, I mean, look, if Chris Tanev were available, I wouldn't, you know, I'd never say no to Chris Tanev at a reasonable price. But, you know, I think that they can probably be fairly comfortable at D. You know, acquiring a score, another scoring winger probably wouldn't hurt. I mean, I I certainly hope the Penguins don't give away Jake Ensel for free um, or or even at the first-round pick plus Kuzmenko price I've been seeing floating around. But, you know, a, a player like that, you know, you get somebody who's not super old. You don't want to sell the farm for, you know, a guy who's maybe, you know, doesn't have the potential to be part of your group moving forward. But, 
I, I, I do agree that this is a great year for the Canucks to at least make a very strong run at things, especially with everything coming as it is, you know, with whatever the gigantic Pedersen extension, you know, not on the books yet, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I, I do agree that the Canucks should make a solid run uh, this season, and I would hope that they'd be able to, you know, target and, and acquire a, a, a smart, you know, top six forward acquisition like that to really bolster their group. I'm torn between asking you a Pacific Division question or a Canucks needs question, so let me do the Canucks needs, and then I'm going to come back to you with uh, Pacific Division tiers. So I'll let you think about that while I ask this question. Um, in terms of top six forward, would you clearly delineate in this team's needs between a, a, a center and a winger, or does this team just need more punch at the top of the lineup? Well, I think more punch – definitely wouldn't hurt um you know it's always ideal if you can get somebody who can play center it just gives you more versatility especially with the fact that both jt miller and elias Pettersson are able to play on the wing uh, as as well as center you know so but you know, it all depends on what's available at the market you know I, like i'm i'm a little bit not quite as high on guys like elias lindholm as some people are although i could see how he could fit well considering the way that this team plays and especially the passing ability they have on the wing. Um, yeah, you know, I think center if you can, but, you know, I, I really any proper scoring talent, you know, that's not going to be a liability uh, at the other end of the ice because, you know, like we've alluded to, the Canucks, I think, have built something decently special in terms of their defensive play this season, and there's always the risk that you introduce an element to the top six that disrupts things a bit, and then, you know, suddenly they're not quite as strong. And lastly, I like to do this with a lot of our guests, but I like to ask them to give me their Pacific Division tiers. So tiered teams, one through eight, in the Pacific Division. You can skip the Sharks because we know they're eighth. Yeah, no, the, yeah, the Sharks are number one at, uh, at something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's... It's, it's tough, it's right? Tough. So are, you, are you talking in terms of... You know, like the playoffs, like like uh, how I true see talent. Tenders. Let's say let's say true talent. So, you know, in a vacuum, in a vacuum, one game, neutral field, new, our neutral field, neutral ice sheet. Um, these two teams are playing. You know, w- if if one team would be a fifty-one percent likelihood to win in your likelihood, in your opinion, over over the other op- over their opponent, they should be ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, nobody nobody leaked my address or anything. I think I would probably have to put the Edmonton Oilers at the top there. Yep. Um, yeah. um, I've, know, I've consistently you know, said this. So. Their, their track record is is longer than the Canucks. I think that you know they're they've been driving chances consistently all throughout the season. Um, it really is just they've been able to get a save and and, and the shots have been going in. Um, you know, I, I do think that they're still the team to beat. Um, you know, after that, it gets trickier because Vegas hasn't been. I don't think quite themselves this year, even as the points have been piling up, you know, under the hood, it hasn't been quite as strong. Um, LA, you know, LA has been, I guess you'd have to put kind of LA and Vancouver and maybe the same tier after that is, you know, again, LA has been playing very well, but I do still wonder whether the lack of kind of that real superstar might hold them back in the playoffs as it has in the past couple of years. Plus, you know, I mean, the goaltending 
I can't be too too confident in Cam Talbot, especially mm-hmm. if we're talking about you know like a, let's say this hypothetical neutral site Winter Classic playoff game that we're talking about. Um, Vegas, I mean, they obviously have as much potential as anybody. Um, I haven't lo- totally loved them this season. I think they were riding goaltending for a bit, but obviously they're an exceptional team. And then you know there's a bit of a gap after that. Seattle's coming around a bit, but. You know, and I do like their defense, but their problems have, I think, been fairly consistent. The Flames, I mean, Lord knows what's happening in Calgary. And then, yeah, after that, you get, I think, the Ducks and yeah. the, the Sharks after I stuff after that. But I guess the, the real answer is the number of times that I've said um, and equivocated while giving that answer because... It's close yeah, to the it's top. A, yeah. It's a real mess, you know, and I mean, a lot of divisions this year are a bit of a mess. Um, and it, it should be an entertaining mess. I mean, we're talking about all these teams are fun to watch. You know, maybe the Los Angeles Kings are a little less fun than the rest of them because of their style of play. But I will be excited to watch whatever playoff series comes out of the mess that is the Pacific Division. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, Jay Fresh, thanks for doing this, man. And, you know, to all our listeners, make sure they keep sending you their uh, Andre Kuzmenko plus a first for Jake Gensel trade proposals. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just I keep, don't get it. Keep I, bombarding you with those. I understand. Maybe Hogliner. Maybe we can talk about there, it. All right. All right. We'll, we'll see. Uh, thanks for all doing right. this, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, cheers. Have a good one. That is Jay Fresh from Twitter. Jack Fraser, uh, his real name, but uh, we'll call him Jay Fresh. And uh, writing also for EP Rinkside, uh, and you can read his <laughs> Substack as well. I don't know why, but the way that you framed that, like Jack Fraser is his real name, uh, made me think of like the title of like a YA novel where it's like codename Jay Fresh. <laughs> <laughs> also, we live in a world now where... The idea of Kuzmenko having more value than Hoaglander is being like scoffed at by Penguins fans yes. on our airwaves. Yeah. Can you, if you'd told someone that that would be the tenor of conversation in August, they would not have believed. No, you. or or a year ago. Like when did Hoaglander get sent down? It was probably right around now. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, it was a little earlier, but yeah. Okay, gets sent down to the AHL. All oh, right, they sent him down before they made the uh, the coaching change. Yeah. Right. So he's in. He's down in Abbotsford. Kuzmenko is lighting the league on fire signing a big extension and flash forward 12 months. And you're right. It's like, wow, we would do it only if Hoaglander, only if Niels Hoaglander uh, was included. I did enjoy someone texting in. What does Mr. Fresh think of Ilya McCam's game? Just enjoy calling him Mr. Fresh uh, from Twitter. Uh, by the way, before we sign off here, you know, we read the quote from Patrick Alvin about potentially being aggressive at the trade deadline. Somebody texted in, how would you guys define aggressive versus merely active when it comes to the trade deadline? For me, aggressive is a top six forward or a top four defenseman. Like somebody who's going to be a key player for you, big minutes, important situations. Active could be, hey, we added a depth defenseman and you know two bottom six forwards that we like that might be in and out of the lineup or play bottom six minutes. That's active. And look, If that's all that the market supports and the prices dictate, maybe that's the right way to go. But to me, that's not being aggressive. That's active. Aggressive is this guy is going to be someone we lean on and is going to play a big role in our lineup. I think that's fair, right? For for me, it's a name on the marquee. Yeah. You know, like it's not about return. It's not about price paid. It's like, does the team go land a guy who you can tell a casual hockey fan? Mm. And they're like, oh, my God. Now, I guess Jake Gensel doesn't really Jake qualify. Gensel doesn't qual- That's like, how cows are we talking here? You know what I mean? Okay, fine. Fair enough. 
to a hardcore hockey fan, and they're like, wow, yes, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, a dialed-in hockey fan yeah. who knows that Jake Gensel is a playoff warrior. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here. <laughs> playoff warrior. He is. Yeah, you, go, you go look at his stats. Dude, I'm familiar with Jake Gensel's game. I'm I'm here for it. All right. We will sign off on that note. We are back tomorrow, a crossover edition of the show uh, with our pals from Donnie and Dolly. So make sure you tune in for that right here tomorrow on Sportsnet 650.